Are you guys feeling happy? Are you feeling happy, happy? I think you should be feeling happy, happy. I endorse that song selection for hugging the kids. Don't you love it when we hug the kids? It makes me smile every single time. I just think that is beautiful. I mean, Jesus said, let the young ones come unto me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, if you want to come into the kingdom of heaven, you got to be a lot more like these guys. And I just feel there's something beautiful when we get to hug the kids. All you, I do want to let you know if you're here for the first time, we do have designated huggers. So we don't just have people coming in out of the street hugging your kids because we love them. So at any rate, um, well, I want to uh, welcome some dear friends of mine, uh, pastors George and Ruth. Would you guys come up here? We're going to have them open uh, in prayer today. Wonderful couple who have been pastoring here in this valley for, I'm not even going to guess how many years, but it's been a couple. And so they have now retired from their pastorate, and now they are the traveling chaplains, and they come through to bless all the different tribes of which they've been a part through One Hope for several years. So uh, can we just welcome my dear friends, George and Ruth? And, and here's the thing. I'm so good that there's two things right now that I don't remember. Number one, I don't remember your last name. Number two, I can't remember the name of the church you pastored all those years. So why don't you tell my friends? Well, my last name is Stoddard. And... Do you remember the name of that church? <laughs> Emmanuel Lutheran on Crescent Avenue in Eugene. And they could use your prayers. They're really struggling. All right. It's kind of nice to know that it takes several men to replace me. When there I'm you go. Retired. Come on. <laughs> All right. You want prayer? Amen. For the From everyone. Word. Okay. Lord, in your high priestly prayer, you said that you had revealed the Father and you would continue to do so. Through Josh and his preaching this morning, I ask that you would reveal the Father to us. You also said that the reason for that is so that the love you have for Jesus would fill us. And we ask for that, that we would experience the love that you gave the Lord Jesus. And then he finished that prayer with, so that I can be in them. And I ask that the word that Josh would bring this day would bring a fulfilling of that promise. I pray for us who are listening, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would receive, our spirits made alive, and our walk with you would be greater than ever. In your name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you. Well, I am very excited to continue uh, with this talk on covenant. And so this is part two of our covenant God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap because for those of you that weren't here last week, um, this is such an important backdrop for understanding this beautiful father that, uh, that we have, this wonderful, good God who has adopted us into his own family and reconciled us back. And when we begin to see covenant, when we begin to see this through this concept of covenant, it opens up the way that we read the word and the way that we respond to God in a, on a whole nother level because it just begins to speak of the character of this beautiful God that we serve. And so I'm going I'm to just go ahead and, and uh, jump here into Genesis 12, 1 through 3. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And, he, and Abraham said, O Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me th a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. Now, the, the word covenant, that this is not a word that is very popular or very common right now, and I want to explain that again. Covenant is, comes from two words here when he's, when he's saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you, is karath, which means cut. And berith, which means, the, that's where we get the word covenant, it's an alliance or a pledge. And what you would do when you're going to make a covenant in, in the ancient Near East, this was the common way that you were going to make a covenant, is that you would take these animals, you would cut them in half, Put one side on this side and one side on the other. So you got a half of the cow here and a half a cow there. The blood, as you can see, is in the middle. And what you do is you, you enter into a contract with another person. You're making an alliance with that person. Now, a covenant is everything that, that a contract is. It has conditions. It's very specific. It's legally binding. So it's completely like a contract in that, in that respect. But it's even more than a contract because a covenant also includes a, an intimate relational connection with the person that you're making a covenant with. It's not just like, I'm going to buy this house from you and here's the terms. Now that's legally binding. And so it's, it's legally binding just like that. But it goes even further. It's saying, I will be unto you as I should be no matter what. And in fact, I'm so swearing on that, and here's the part where a covenant and a contract are different, it's, I am so swearing to you that this will happen, that in fact, if I don't do this, then let a curse come upon me, and I'll be specific in your covenant, you say, I'll be specific about what that curse will be, literally, let it be unto me as it is these animals that I'm walking between right now, because what you would do is both of you would get, you would, you would actually hold hands, and you would walk together through the halves of the animals. You'd be walking through the blood, tracking through blood of these two animals that had been torn to pieces. And you would say, if I break the terms of this covenant, then let the same thing that's going on with these animals, that they've been torn to pieces, their blood has run out, let that curse come upon me because I did not keep my covenant with you. A little bit more than a pinky swear. And so God says to Abraham, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, Abraham. And so I want to I read, I wanna read uh, further now. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, three, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed be between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, excuse me, to your descendants I have given this land. And then he goes on to explain the the, the actual demographics of that land, or not demographics, but the, uh, the boundaries of that land. 
But he says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. And we know the, the, the aforementioned promise, Abraham, in you, all nations will be blessed. Now, here's what is extraordinary about this covenant. Abraham didn't walk between the pieces. Isn't that extraordinary? And if you go back, and I encourage you to go back and read the story, you'll notice that Abraham never walked between the pieces. So what does that mean? What that means is that God made a covenant with Abraham, and he told him, I promise to bless all nations through you, Abraham. And we know, of course, from the story that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that seems like a cool thing. We think, well, good, he trusted God, and that's wonderful. He did trust God. But here's what's amazing. That's the only thing that he did. He simply trusted God. And here's what else is amazing. Now, now I, I shouldn't say it's the only thing that he did. Let me follow up with some actions. But I'm saying in that initial point, when he entered into the covenant, all that he had done was believe God. God said, leave the land that you know and follow me to another land. Didn't even tell him what the other land was. But Abraham believed God. And so then God said, let me enter into this covenant. Now God passes through these animals that have been torn apart. And what's significant about this is that God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless all nations through you, and I swear that I will do it. And if I am not unto you as I said that I will be, according to this covenant, then let me be torn to pieces and let my blood run out and let me die as these animals have died to fulfill the just requirements of this covenant that I've made with you. But when he didn't have Abraham pass through the torn pieces, he was further saying, Abraham, if I don't do these things and let these things happen to me, but Abraham, if you and your descendants don't fulfill the terms of your covenant, then Abraham, let me be torn to pieces and let my blood run out. God just made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. God just said, justice will be fulfilled in regard to this covenant. If I, act, if I don't act according to my promise, let this happen to me. But Abraham, if you don't act according to this promise, then let this happen to me. This is the God that we serve. So in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, it says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. That's us, sons and daughters of Abraham. Amen? But how many of you just got an upgrade on what that means? You just hooked up with a God that says, Hey, look, if you do what I've asked you to do, well, praise God. But if you don't, I've been torn to pieces and my blood ran out, which is how you got here in the first place. If you keep your end of the bargain, well, then you'll be blessed because all of the laws that I've given you, everything that I've asked for you is for your good and your well-being and your blessing in your life. But if you choose not to, if you sin against me, I will not have you torn to pieces because I've been torn to pieces and so I will forgive you. What an incredible God. And it goes on, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. You guys know the word gospel means good news, right? He preached the good news saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, I want to talk to you today 
about how do we apply this? How, how does this work? Because we find ourselves in this day and age in a, in a very interesting time. I, we're not the only people that have ever faced sort of the cultural climate or the philosophical entrapments that we're in right now. We're not the, we're not the first people that have faced this, but we are facing it right now. And, and, the, and the primary thinking in our culture right now is essentially, it's relativism. It's this idea that all things are true and that all things can be whatever it is that you want it to be. And what do I mean by that? I mean that, that we, you, you catch yourself saying things like, well, who am I to judge that person? Now, on one hand, you're right. Who are you to judge that person? But on the other hand, you're half wrong because what you need to follow with is, I am not the one who should judge that person. However, there is a judge. And that judge is God. And how many of you know that God's judgments are righteous? How many of you know that if we're made in God's image, then he has a right to expect us to act like him? Did you catch that? If you're made like your daddy, and you are, your daddy, the creator who created you in his own image, has the right and justly deserves to look at you and say, hey, I know who you look like. You look like your daddy. And I expect you to act like your daddy. You guys with me? So the judge, the judge of all things, he is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. What is real and what is false? What is reality and what is an aberration? What is righteousness and what is wickedness? What is love and what is selfishness? Agreed? But we live in a culture that says, no, I determine what is right for me and you determine what is right for you. Agreed? I mean, essentially, when you have a conversation with people, what you end up talking about is what is actually true and who has the right to determine what is true. Does anybody have these kind of conversations when you really boil it down? When you're having, when you're having a conversation about what is right or wrong, we essentially end up having to ask the question, well, who determines what is right or wrong? It's very quiet today. And here's the answer. Our Father is the one who determines what is right or wrong. Our Father is the one who is the standard of righteousness. Jesus came and said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. There is no other way but through me. And I only tell you what I hear my Father saying. What was, what was, what was Jesus actually doing? Reconciling us back to the Father. And you know why he was reconciling us back to the Father? Well, one of the reasons, I mean, the number one reason is because he loves us. He really, really, really loves us. That's why. But he also had laid out how he was going to do it. And you know who he had made a promise to about that? Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. In fact, he made a promise to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve first brought sin and death into the earth, when they first took their God-given authority and handed a portion of it over to the enemy and brought a curse on the earth, God immediately, you remember, he says, there will be enmity between you, Satan, and this woman. And her offspring will crush your head. 
He'd already made a promise. I love this dad. How many of you love this dad? He's not this angry, horrible, vindictive dad. No, he's this amazing dad that says, listen, I love you and I love justice. I love righteousness because it's love. And I am love, and you're made in my image, and it is right that I should expect from you a standard of holiness and righteousness because you're made in my image. You are made to be holy and righteous, to be ultimately loving. And when Adam and Eve stepped away from that, and the curse came, and the authority was shifted over much of it to the enemy, then God immediately goes, well, I didn't stop loving you, Adam and Eve. I'm going to make a way to, to get my kids back. I see that the enemy deceived you. I see that you made a very bad decision. And there's, re, and, there's, and there's repercussions of that decision. In fact, we're still establishing heaven on earth right now, aren't we? We're still responding now in love to that decision, aren't we? But God, being the covenant God that he is, based on who he is, his beautiful, wonderful heart says, I am going to redeem you back. And the way that I'm going to do that is through covenant. Are you, guys, are you guys tracking with me? Are you having fun so far? All right, because I'm having fun. I just want you to be as well. So here's this scripture. Now, now, fast forward to today. I've talked about a couple things. Number one, here we live in this place where we're faced with a culture that essentially says there is no right, there is no wrong. There's just the culture you live in and you decide kind of what the highest good is for where you are at any given time. Which on its face might sound somewhat high ideals of being open-minded and whatnot, but the truth is, without God, it will always be self-serving. It will always be short of the goodness of who God actually is, and there will always be a measure of wickedness and selfishness in it. You'll never get away from it. You'll always end up short of the glory of God. And in fact, the word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Everyone has acted not like their daddy, at some point or another. Amen? Who here has acted not like their daddy? Amen. And those of you that didn't raise your hands, you just did it. Just right there. Bam. Now you can raise them. <laughs> so I want to start right here because, because we are faced with this tendency to want to rationalize. We, we want to apply the covenant now, but we're, but we're misunderstanding on one hand. What did that covenant actually mean? And how then must I live in light of God keeping his absolute, unconditional, amazing end of the covenant? See, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory, haven't we? But he kept his end of the covenant, and Jesus was literally torn. Do you remember? He was torn to pieces. I just have a quick aside for you. How many of you, when Jesus talks about the servant, and he says, how many of you, if you had a servant, and he acted really wickedly, how many of you, of course, you would tear him to pieces and throw him out into outer darkness? You guys know what I'm talking about? He says it a few times in the Bible. And I've always thought, good night, Jesus. Like, take it easy, man. So this guy has a bad day and you tear him to pieces? Literally says, tear them to pieces. And I always thought, what in the world is Jesus talking about? You know what he's talking about? Covenant. The people that were listening to him understood. They're saying, how many of you, if you had a servant that made a covenant with you and he didn't keep his end of the covenant, wouldn't allow the curse on the covenant that you made that they'd be torn to pieces? How many of you wouldn't make sure that, they're into the, that they had to fulfill the curses of their covenant? And Jesus said that knowing that he himself 
was going to be torn to pieces on all y'all's behalf and, and my all too. Right? Isn't that amazing? See, this is what covenant is. If there's a blessing and there's a curse. So then let's look at some conditions. What were the conditions of this covenant? Because here's where we are, guys, and this will all come together. How many of you are saying, where are we going? A couple of you. All right. That means I'm not doing an awesome job so far. Because what you're supposed to be saying is, I like where we're going. So, Father, more wisdom. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to connect this. He's a covenant God. He has on his end given us an unconditional covenant because if we don't fulfill it, he said, I will fulfill it. And indeed, we know Jesus did fulfill it. How then shall we live in light of him fulfilling that covenant? What are the conditions on our end? Because if you'll notice, his end is unconditional. But what are the conditions on our end? He took punishment when we violated the conditions of the covenant. You catch this? So his love is unconditional. But he had to actually be torn to pieces because the covenant was violated in order to fulfill justice. So he didn't lower the standard. He himself fulfilled the standard and restored us to the standard. You see the difference? Let me unpack this a little bit more. Just let that sink in. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. I think most of us read this, and the first thing we think is, the law is a curse. But that's not actually what this is saying. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, the law is not the curse. The law is the definition of love. It's the definition of what is required from us in order to be acting like our dad. Totally honest, totally fair, totally just, totally kind, forgiving. Are you guys with me? All right. It shows what righteousness looks like, but the law also provided, and we're talking about the, the old covenant and the new covenant. Remember last week I told you it's, it's that the Bible, the word testament, it actually means covenant. Your Bible, when you're reading it, you're reading the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay, so we're talking about how God spelled out what righteousness looks like in the Old Covenant. What, what does righteousness look like? Abraham is given this promise, and then through Moses, God then ratifies that, that covenant. He brings definition to that covenant. And he lays out what it looks like to live a righteous life. And how many of you know what the law immediately starts pointing out to every single one of us when we read it is like, oops, oh no, uh-oh, uh-oh, shoot, I, uh, uh-uh. And it, what does it do? It shows you that you're in violation of the covenant, doesn't it? All of a sudden you go, ha ah. And then Jesus shows up and he is no help at all in regards to the law. Because Jesus shows up and says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Well, where did they hear that said? In the covenant, in the law of the covenant that was given to us. And he says, I tell you, though, that if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. 
every man is like. <laughs> and he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you, if you look in anger in your heart and call someone a fool, you're already a murderer. What? And what is he saying? He goes, you're not acting like your daddy. Every single one of you has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, now I'm giving you a picture of what it looks like to live faithfully with one another before God. And in the law, you do have the provision of the sacrifice. And I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me just go to the next scripture. But it gives you the conditions. Are you guys liking this? It gives you the conditions. It gives you some definition so you can understand. So, Lord, what is it? What does the glory of God look like then? What does it look like to live as a holy and a righteous people? What did you want for Adam and Eve when you put them in the garden and gave them a job to cultivate it? When you told them to be fruitful and multiply, what did that look like? And he goes, well, I'll show you what it looked like. It looked like this. Do not murder. Love God with all your heart and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be generous. It, you know, set us, like, here's the, here's the way I want to lay out how you should live. And as we see that, then we realize, because we have a sin nature until we're born again, that none of us are hitting it, right? And in the covenant, I love this, in the law, and I want to just read this to you, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. There's that covenant again. You see how there's no break in this? You see how it's not something different? It wasn't like, it, I, I've, maybe this is just me. Let me just talk about me. And then that way you can just laugh at me and then secretly maybe learn something. <laughs> I think the way that I've read the Bible for, for much of my life has been this. God created us and then we sinned. And then he gave us the law, which was a curse. And he was really, really mad. And so he wanted to show us how mad he was with the curse of the law. And then Jesus came and was like, oh, God, don't be so mad. And so then God was like, well, then I'll just kill you. And he did. And then he was satisfied. <laughs> and so then, you know, try not to screw up too much. And I, and I have lived most of my life up until yesterday. Just kidding. Um, really, with, with that kind of being the, the, the main plot in my heart. And then, and then as the years went by, suddenly I began to discover, no, no, when it says that the wrath of God was satisfied, he has a good reason to be really upset when his kids who are created for his glory do wicked and horrible things and side with evil, doesn't he? Doesn't he? But he made a covenant with us because from the very beginning he goes, you are my sons and my daughters. You are made in my image. And I am not willing to let you go just because wickedness came in and tricked you. Just because you were guilty. But at the same time, I'm a righteous God. And I've made a covenant, and you, every one of us, well, it's God speaking, so I'm in this, okay. 
So God speaking to us, you have all sinned and fallen short of the glory. And in my covenant with Abraham, which I then defined through the law with Moses, if you violate this covenant, justice must be served. Because if he doesn't restore the standard, then there really is no standard, is there? Then it's just mercy, but there's no justice. Are you guys catching this? And he can't be righteous if he's just extending mercy with no justice. Because at that point, why do you even have a standard? What, what, I mean, if it's just, well, uh, you know, oh, I did it again. I cheated on my wife again. My wife's like, oh, well, don't worry about it. I pardon thee. Okay, I'll see you at five. I'm going to go cheat on you again. What would that be? That would be mercy without justice, wouldn't it? I don't know why I always go back to adultery and cheating. I'm starting to actually wonder if I'm sending some bad messages to you guys. I think it's just because of the, the, the wickedness of our heart. And I like to use big examples because I feel like most of us aren't necessarily getting out of control where we're cheating on our wife or cheating on our husband. But we need to, we need to understand that we're followers of Christ. And what I am trying to do is awaken our hearts. I'm trying to awaken our hearts to say, Lord, am I living as though you're a merciful God, but completely ignoring that you're a righteous and a just God. You guys catch that? So I wanna, I wanna, go, I wanna go here. So the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Now, how many of you know that when you have a tutor, what do they do? They teach you how to get really good at whatever medium it is that you're studying, correct? And so after the tutor is no longer teaching you things because now you've mastered it, right? Wouldn't that be the point? Do you then go and do the opposite of everything that the tutor just taught you? Anyone? And yet many of us today are living just like unbelievers right now and saying God canceled the law through Christ. And so I need not worry about living righteously now because it's all under the blood. But the scripture says the exact opposite. It says that the law was a tutor to lead you to Christ. Now we receive that Christ has kept his end of the covenant, this unconditional commitment that he has to us. And that's why we can go with confidence to receive forgiveness. But it does not mean that we now ignore Everything that the law and the prophets points to of how to live righteously and with love one towards another. You guys catch this? You look like you're thinking. Have I lost you or you're just processing? Let me, let, let me go to Hebrews here. And I want to lay this out for you. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. What laws is he talking about? He's actually talking about the law of Moses. Jesus, when he came, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says, in fact, in order to be righteous, you have to go even further than what the law says. You guys with me? So the law has not been canceled. The righteous standard has not been canceled. He has restored us to that standard. And here again it says, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant, y'all. 
This is what we're a part of. This is the new covenant that I will make with them. This is our covenant. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. And on their mind, I will write them. Well, how do I know what those laws are? Well, they're right here in the book of the covenant. Are you catching this? How many of you are getting excited to read the, 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 the old covenant with fresh eyes? To be able to say, oh, these are the promises. Oh, this is what you were talking about. That makes sense right now. This applies right now. I'm not free from this. I'm free to actually do this. Now, this is not so simple as that I'm going to try to generalize everything today. But what I am asking is that understanding the fullness of what God fulfilled in the covenant in bringing us through Abraham and Jesus Christ being torn to pieces to reconcile us back to God so that we can be completely and totally holy in his sight, not based on the fact that we fulfilled the law, but based on the fact that he fulfilled the law so that we now, being born again, can fulfill the law. And it's the law of love. There's a definition to the law of love. And that's really what I want us to leave with today. That there, there isn't this sort of relative. Many of us right now, we're facing the temptation to go, oh yeah, I, I know Jesus said that the law and the prophets was summed up in this. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And I totally do that. I don't ever read it or have any idea what it says. But I'll tell you what love God and love your neighbor means to me. I'll leave them alone because I like to be alone. And they'll leave me alone because I'm assuming they like to be alone. So I'm loving them as much as I love myself. And I love God. I give him at least an hour and a half every three to six weeks. And occasionally, if I feel moved, I throw a couple bucks in the plate. And I'm not stealing anything. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'll feel the same way if you look into this. You guys with me? So he puts that law, those loving laws in your heart. Now here's the part that becomes glorious for us. If we sin, and when we sin, he restores us to the standard. He doesn't lower the standard, but he restores us to the standard. Now, I think that, well, I, I know that only the work of the Holy Spirit can truly cause this to resonate in us at the level that it must. No speaker by virtue of their good speaking, no teacher by virtue of their, of their excellent teaching can move a heart in, in simply bringing words. But I trust that the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts and our spirits right now and reminding us of both the, the beautiful, high, glorious standard of this Father who loves and, and loves both through justice and mercy. He found a way to fulfill both of those. And so what that does in our life right now is that as we look at this perfect, this perfect law that leads to liberty and we find that we've fallen short of it, then in that moment, with confidence then, we go to this God who unconditionally reconciled him back to himself. Did you catch this? And we say, God, I've sinned and fallen short again. 
And he says, because I have fulfilled justice by myself being torn apart, I have the freedom to take you without being unjust because I've paid for this. And I have the freedom now because of the blood, my own blood and my own body, which was broken for you. Because of what I've done, I have the right and I have the joy because it was in my heart all along to do this to restore you back to the standard. Did you catch this? And so in that, in, in that we simply go, I'm so thankful. I can be completely confident because, you see, here's the thing. He's not lowering the standard down to our current level of experience. He's keeping his part of the promise that he made to Abraham and to us through Jesus Christ and restoring us back. And so what does it do? It just causes us to be so humble, doesn't it? It just causes us to go, you're so good. And then, and then on the other side, if I have, if I have begun to believe that, that his covenant doesn't have any terms, and so I'm just sort of like, well, you know, he, if you believe what I used to believe, you know, well, he killed his son, so he's not mad anymore. So just kind of, you know, do your best. Well, no, he's a holy and a righteous God that requires us to live like he does. And so then I do search the word and I do look at it and I do say, oh my goodness, Lord, you have some things to say about how I spend my money. Oh, in fact, this doesn't say that. It says everything belongs to me, says the Lord. And the tithe is mine. I'm managing your money? I thought it was my money. He goes, it's not your money. You're a servant. In fact, Jesus said in that day, you will simply say to me, God, we're just worthless servants. All we've done is what you told us. Which sounds really harsh, but what was his point? He's saying, don't think your good works are doing anything for you on their own. It's required of you that you manage my stuff my way. I'm a righteous and a holy judge. My way is awesome. Anything less than that is not. Don't be patting yourself on the back because you're a D-plus student. Even if you're an A-plus student, you only made it to that level because I'm so good and I let you be born again and you're joining me in my joy. But the glory belongs to me and the joy belongs to you. So if we're in this place where we've slipped into essentially this pagan lifestyle where we claim the blood of Jesus so that we won't feel worried about our our purposeless existence or our half or our halfway commitment and we go oh lord i'm confronted by this i'm confronted that jesus you held back nothing and i hold back almost everything you claimed you you actually became a servant and became the firstborn of many you came to serve and you said it all belongs to my father and i only do what i see him doing and i say i'll give you a couple of hours on the weekend I'll pray occasionally, and maybe I'll throw some money in a plate sometimes, but I'm certainly not sharing the gospel with anyone, and I'm certainly not going to try to figure out how to live like God would. Then in that point, then you can go, oh my goodness, I've lowered the standard. I'm actually expecting that God's going to be pleased with this standard that I've created for my own life. In fact, I think I'm the Lord of my life. Shoot. 
I became the Lord again. And so in that moment, it's, it's then that you go back to this covenant and you go, oh, but this is the God that made a covenant. And he actually paid for this. So there's justice available. I don't deserve it. But he loves me so much that he's given it. So then I can confidently come back and say, Father, will you forgive me? And will you restore me to the standard? I'm not asking that you lower the standard to my current level of obedience. I'm asking that you would forgive me. And I'm going to turn from that, my current level of half obedience or whatever. And he's proud of you for what you're doing right. Don't get me wrong. This is a really good dad. But then you go, Lord, then give me grace. I'm going to draw on that grace. Restore me to the standard. Can I have the prayer servant team come forward? If anyone would like to meet this beautiful father, and maybe you haven't had the opportunity to give your life to this beautiful father who gave his life to make that possible, well, then I want you to come forward, and anyone here on the prayer servant team would love to help you make that introduction. And if you need healing in your body or you need encouragement, if you've been discouraged recently, I just feel like there's some people that have really been discouraged, like you've been fighting the good fight and you just, you just kind of got the, some blood on your armor, I want you to come up and get some prayer and just let someone else agree with you for your breakthrough. Just agree with you for your joy to be restored. Because you know what? Your father's proud of you and he knows what you're facing and he doesn't expect you to just do it on your own. Jesus, remember he said, come pray with me guys, I need some help. I'm about to face something big. And he was the son of God. So if that's you, please get some prayer. Otherwise, I want you to have a fantastic week. There's two things I'd like for you to do as you, as you leave today. Number one, there's a table on the outside, right outside that door, and it says, smile, speak, invite. And there's a bunch of cards sitting on those tables, and they're little invitation cards, and they just simply say, you are invited and welcome. And it's a little free coffee card. What I would love is that everybody here would grab a handful of those, and when you see someone, as the Holy Spirit prompts you, pull it out of your wallet or your purse and hand it to them and say, hey, I'd really like to invite you to come to church. Put it in their hand. That's all you got to say. Gosh, I'd just really love to invite you to come to church. Let's try that right now, shall we? Just turn to your neighbor. See how it feels. I think sometimes we make things a little harder than they need to be, huh? And here's the, here's the second thing as, as we're leaving. I just feel so excited about what God has done uh, with Derek's faithfulness. I, I love to hear a story where somebody takes their own strength, invests their own time and money, sells their own stuff because they want to go extend the kingdom. And so if that's something that moved you to go, man... You're already selling your stuff and working and baking pie. When you have a mechanic baking key lime pie and doing a good job, that's kingdom. I think we need to get behind that. So if you want to sow into that trip, I know God's going to do some amazing things in Uganda. Uh, Derek is going to be just standing right there in the corner, and as you leave today, he's going to be holding a little basket. And I'd love for you to just drop something in that basket. You can write a check to Christ Center. It'll be tax deductible if you want to write a check. Or if you want to run your card, Janelle will be right next to Derek with a little swipey thing, and you could, you could do that. So I just want to make that available. If that's something, if you're moved in your heart, and you went, man, I could get behind that, um, then that's available for you to, to, to partner up with Derek as he and the team goes to Uganda. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. God bless you guys.